Hi, good morning. Welcome to uh, this Sunday message that is preached on Saturday. Uh, as I was looking at this passage and thinking of an illustration, uh, my mind came, of course, to our current trouble with uh, the COVID-19 virus. Uh, like the danger we'll be talking about today, uh, COVID-19 is invisible. I should say people fear uh, the COVID-19. We are, I think, in the fifth week of shelter in place in uh, the Bay Area of California, which means people are staying at home. Um, and that's mandated by the government. And uh, perhaps for good reason, it, it uh, helps what we call uh, lowering the curve or flattening the curve, limiting the number of people who are sick and that overwhelming our health care system. Uh, but you also sense a lot of fear, a lot of people walking around in masks, and now it's becoming almost mandated. But uh, even well before it was mandated, people were wearing masks, and there uh, seems to be a lot of fear and suspicion. I noticed um, uh, an email went out this week from the city uh, explaining uh, that we will be lowering the speed limit in Fremont because there's a lot of people walking and riding their bikes in order to get some exercise. And there was a response. It's one of these uh, messages where people can respond to and somebody responded, hey, uh, you shouldn't be letting anybody out of their house. Everybody should be staying at home. And that just expresses how much people are afraid of this virus. And I was thinking of, of the reasons for that fear and how they compare with uh, the passage we have today. And one of these fears is uh, COVID-19 is invisible. It actually would be visible had you had uh, maybe a one million time magnification. Uh, the virus is a few hundreds of, uh, of a nanometer uh, large. So if you could magnify it by about a million, you could see it with your naked eye. But most of us don't have that capability, so to us it's invisible. Uh, we don't understand it well. Uh, we have a hard time predicting who's going to get sick and why and how. Um, my understanding is that transmission is usually by contact. You have to touch a surface uh, that's been contaminated or by, by the virus, and then you need to be touching your, your face near your mouth or nose or eyes. Uh, but uh, people are afraid it might just pass by air. Uh, and while I understand that's possible, if a person is coughing droplets of, of mucus with the virus in them, that would be likely. But some people think it just, you know, anybody breathing around uh, could somehow be transfer transporting it to you. That's very unlikely. Uh, but people don't understand how it can happen, so, so they're fearful. And finally, we we see the deadly consequences around us, uh, whether it is loved ones that died or you hear in the media. I think the number is north of 51,000 people known to have died from this disease in the United States. The number in the world is, is much higher. And um, it shut down our economy. Uh, you can't go out of your house. So you see the effects of it, and so, so we fear it. Uh, thinking about our passage today, uh, let's go ahead and we'll read quickly the passage in Matthew. Uh, they had something else that they were fearing, which was uh, just as invisible, poorly understood, and yet uh, terrifying, and that was demon possession, demon possession. So Matthew chapter 8 and verse 28 says, when he had come to the other side, this is speaking of Jesus, to the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? 
Now a good way off from them, there was a herd of many swine feeding. So the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. So when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine, and suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. Then those who kept them fled, and they went away into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to depart from Region. These accounts are also included, this account, I should say, is also included in the Gospel of Mark and in the Gospel of Luke, where additional details are revealed, and I will uh, read those extra details uh, during the message as is needed. So this is what Jesus dealt with at that time. Now, I wanted to also read Hebrews 2, chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, we don't often appreciate how uh, significant uh, this was, uh, a part of Jesus' ministry to free us from demonic power. We often think about, well, Jesus came to save us from our sins and from God's judgment against our sins, and that, that's true, but it's also true that Jesus came to deliver us from demonic oppression to the point that that is summarized in the book of Hebrews as really the purpose of Jesus' coming. Hebrews 2, verse 14 and 15 says, Inasmuch then as the children, this is speaking of us, have partaken of flesh and blood, he, Jesus himself, likewise shared in the same meaning in the human nature, Jesus came into this world as a man that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. That is speaking of spiritual bondage. We are under or well, if we are believers today, under the power of the devil. And the purpose of Jesus' coming was to deliver us from that power. So if we would think of demonic oppression as a disease, we could say Jesus came into this world to deliver us, to save us from this disease of demon oppression, much as People today would like to be delivered from the danger of COVID-19. You could say Jesus came to deliver us from the power or the disease of demonic oppression. Okay, let's go ahead and look at our passage uh, verse by verse or section by section. Uh, first, we want to recognize that Jesus had a vision here. It says, when he had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes. There's a whole thought in that that uh, is probably worth bringing out and that Jesus had a vision for the whole world. He had a vision for the whole world. He was a Jew and uh, he was raised in Galilee in the city of Nazareth. And a lot of his ministry was focused there. When we looked at uh, the earlier section of the passage in Matthew Chapter 8, we saw Jesus was uh, serving uh, mostly in the Galilee by the uh, western shore of the Lake of Galilee. That was a Jewish region. But then he told his disciples, let us go to the other side. That would have been a couple of weeks ago when Don was preaching. And then last week, we, we heard David preaching on them crossing the lake or the Sea of Galilee and being hit by a storm that Jesus delivers his disciples from. And now they're reaching the other side and it's worth noting that this was mostly Gentile country. The region was called Decapolis, which is the Greek or the Latin word for ten cities. 
There were 10 cities, 10 main cities in that area, and they were mostly populated by Gentiles. And yet Jesus was now bringing, if you would, the gospel into Gentile territory, preparing his disciples really for that. It wasn't going to be a main ministry until after Jesus' death. But there were some hints throughout the Gospels that Jesus had a vision to reach the Gentiles, and this would be one of those uh, uh, early foreshadowing of that fact. Okay? Uh, Then he is met there, we're told, by two demon-possessed men. If, you, if, we would look, if we look at the Gospel of Luke and Mark, they only mention one man, but it's probably because there was one, if you would, more famous demon-possessed man who may have had the effects of the demon possession in a more dramatic fashion. Uh, maybe he had a longer history, or maybe he became better known later on. We don't know why. They only discuss one man in those, but in uh, Matthew, he clarifies there were two men. They came out of the tombs, and uh, the tombs, by the way, that would be the equivalent equivalent of a graveyard. So a tomb would have been like a cave dug into the hillside where they would put dead bodies. So dwelling in the tombs basically means living in the graveyard. I don't know you. I would not want to live in a graveyard. Uh, They came out of the tombs, meaning they were literally living in the caves where the dead bodies were. Um, They were exceedingly fierce, we're told, in Matthew. Probably means they were very scary uh, and very violent, very dangerous to encounter so that no one could pass that way. Nobody wanted to go anywhere near where these two guys were. And they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? It's not clear from the passage whether Jesus came specifically to uh, deal with this demon possession or more broadly to reach the region. I tend to side with the second, that Jesus had a, a vision for the whole region. Um, and you could view these two demon-possessed men as coming, in a sense, to block Jesus and say, we have nothing to do with you. You have no business here at all. So a spiritual opposition to Jesus as he is approaching this region. Now, we want to talk a little bit about demons I like to remind myself that uh, the Bible could be used as an acronym to the words basic instruction before leaving earth. So the Bible tells us everything we need to know in this life before we go to heaven. But it doesn't tell us everything we want to know, right? Because it's just basic instructions. We don't know everything that there is to know about demons. We just know enough uh, about demons to, to live this life. What do we know about them? We know they were created by God. God created everything and everyone, including Satan himself. And so he created demons as well. However, when God created them, like Satan, they were angelic beings. They were not evil. But like us, they have they had a free choice. And they chose to rebel against God, likely led by Satan himself. In Revelation, he is described as a dragon falling from heaven, and in his tail, he is dragging down one-third of the stars. I'm guessing that that's a picture of him dragging with him a third of the angels uh, in his rebellion against God. So that's where demons come from. Demons are active in the resistance to God since they serve Satan. Uh, They're active. They were active at that time. They're still active today. In some cases, 
their work is obvious, as in this case. It's very clear <coughs> that the man is demon-possessed, uh, both by his uh, behavior as well as um, from the fact that... Um, let me go ahead and read a little bit of uh, the, the parallel passage in Luke. <clears throat> Luke chapter um, 8, also, as in as Matthew chapter 8, uh, starting in verse 26. It says, Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes. Just one more aside here, as you compare uh, passages in Matthew, it mentions the Gergesenes, the country of the Gergesenes. Gergesa was the closest city in the Decapolis, probably just a few miles from this site. Uh, Gadara was the capital city, the largest city in the Decapolis. And that's why one of them says the country of the Gergesenes, referring to the closest city. The other is the country of the Gadarenes, referring to the lar largest city or the capital, capital city of the region, uh, which is opposite Galilee. And when he stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time, and he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him with a loud voice, and with a loud voice said, What have we to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had often seized him, and he was kept under God, bound with chains and shackles, and he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. Jesus asked him, saying, What is your name? And he said, legion, because many demons had entered him. And they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. So it's very clear we're dealing with demonic uh, resistance in this case because the demons are speaking out. They're calling Jesus by name. The man would have no, had no way of knowing uh, Jesus. Uh, he was able to break shackles. Right? It's not something ordinary people uh, can do. And last, uh, when the man is delivered from the demons, the demons enter the, the pigs or the swine and they run into the water. So there's lots of evidence we're dealing with demonic oppression in this case. It's not always obvious, is the point I'm trying to make. Um, this demon possession disease it doesn't always uh, have symptoms that help us recognize it. Uh, as such. We often talk about COVID-19 as a disease that can be asymptomatic. You, some people you just can't tell that are sick. Some people you can't. In this case, you could. There was no question the man was demon-possessed. But sometimes it's not so obvious. Uh, one case uh, that comes to mind is Acts 5, and that is where Ananias, one of the early believers, sells a possession and just brings half the proceeds to Peter, and Peter says to him in Acts 5, uh, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? You'd look at Ananias, he seemed like a perfectly normal person. In fact, some people will say rational. You know, why give everything to the Lord? You know, just pretend you give everything, but keep half. That seems extremely rational to people today. And yet, Peter was able to isolate it. This was an action that sourced in the devil himself. Um, another one, maybe less obvious, less obvious that it wasn't obvious, 2 Corinthians 12.7, Paul is speaking about evidence of his apostleship and part of the evidence was a vision that God has given him. And here he follows it up saying, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, 
to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. We don't know exactly what form um, this messenger of Satan took. Some people believe that there was some sort of a physical disability because Paul calls it a thorn in the flesh. Perhaps it was a problem with his eyes. We know he had uh, problems with his eyes. Um, but there was something in his body, physically, that was afflicting him to the point that he three times asked God to take it away. And God says, my grace is sufficient for you. But here Paul clearly identifies it as a spiritual attack. Right? Part of his efforts of bringing the gospel to people were being thwarted by Satan himself through some sort of a physical malady. Um, some of you know I was uh, stricken by the fell disease of shingles this week. And uh, I tried to look it up, you know, what causes shingles, and people don't, I mean, they, they kind of know a little bit about it. They know that it's a virus that uh, enters your body when you get chicken pox. And uh, somehow it lies dormant in your body for years, many years. I had chicken pox probably when I was five years old or around that age, and now I am uh, 45, yeah, 45. I have my daughter here nodding at me to help me out. I'm not good in uh, doing quick math when I'm standing at the pulpit. Uh, and it lies dormant. Uh, according to the doctors, in, uh, in actually some nerve cells, or maybe a nervo, nervous, uh, in your nervous system, and something activates it, and they don't know why. A lot of people tell me, oh, it's stress. Well, the doctors say they don't know why, but maybe it's stress. <laughs> Personally, you know, if I had to guess, I would say I was playing too much ultimate frisbee with my uh, kids, because it you know, started at exactly the same point my muscles was aching from throwing it, but very possibly spiritual resistance as well. Uh, I just know from experience that when I preach, things happen. <laughs> I'm sure many of you preachers uh, can share with that. Or, or if in other ways you try to serve the Lord, very often things pop up. I was uh, approached by the elders with the question of whether I wanted to be an elder or be tested to be an elder. And uh, I think uh, within a week or so, my uh, son Joey fell down playing with his friends and cracked his skull. And uh, we had to rush him to the emergency and took him a week to recover and three months before he could play again. But, um, but yeah, things happen uh, and, and we don't have an explanation, but they might very well be spiritual resistance. Paul advises this to the Ephesians in chapter 6. Verse 10, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. As believers, especially as we're serving the Lord, we're, we're fighting spiritual opponents, and we can expect spiritual resistance. And uh, often it will be invisible, undetectable, like the COVID-19 uh, Unlike the case with this man. With this man, very obvious, often spiritual resistance, spiritual attack, spiritual oppression can be very difficult to detect. Okay. Uh, finally, we see here Jesus treating the disease. Right? We see... Um, the demons begged him, saying, if you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. We're going to get to that in a moment. And he said to them, go. So when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine. So all Jesus does in this passage, he just commands the demons to depart from the man. If we 
um, had COVID-19, um, we would want to know that there's somebody who can help us, somebody who had the uh, power, the skill, the tools to be able to assist us. Uh, often COVID-19 is not serious enough to require medical intervention, but sometimes it does, and people will go to the hospital, they'll have difficulty breathing. Uh, I don't know all the different treatments that are carried out. I know eventually, if breathing becomes enough of a challenge, they will put you in a ventilator to try to, that will basically do your breathing for you to try to sustain you. Um, apparently, even that is, is no longer favored because they recognize they often damage people as they're trying to mechanically breathe for people. That's not what our bodies were designed for. And unless that really is the last absolute option, uh, if, you, if you put that on people too soon, you might end up hurting them more than they would have been hurt by the virus. So people are right to be concerned about whether physicians have the skills and the tools necessary to really help them from the COVID-19 virus. And so if we think about demonic oppression, why would we come to Jesus to deliver us from it? How do we know that Jesus has the power, the ability, the tools to do so? Well, in this passage, we have a simple demonstration of Jesus' power. He says, go, and the demons go. And this is probably the worst case of demonic possession known to man. Um, Jesus asked in the Gospel of Luke, he asks the demon or the man saying, what is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. Uh, I don't know if it's in Luke or Mark where when somebody counted the swine or the pigs that went to the sea, but there were about 2,000. So some people will say, well, there might have been 2,000 demons inside of this man. Other people will say, no, a legion usually is comprised of 5,000 uh, Roman soldiers. So there were probably five. We don't know how many demons were in this man, but uh, this was a terrible, terrible case of demon possession. And Jesus uses one word, go, and they all depart. How is it that Jesus have, has this kind of power over demons? Well, to start with, he is God, and God has power over his creation. The same ability he had over the winds and the seas in the previous passage, he says, peace, and they quiet, the winds quiet, the waves quiet. He has power over them because he is God. Second, he has power over them because he solved the problem. If you recall, I read to you from Hebrews chapter 2, and it says there, that it is through death that Jesus will destroy him who had the power of death. In Colossians, it says that having disarmed principalities and powers, he, Jesus, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. The it there is the cross. So he triumphed over them in the cross. How did Jesus through death defeat Satan. How did he triumph over demons in the cross? Well, the reason we have come under the power of Satan and the power of demons is that we have exited the realm of the power of God. When Adam and Eve were created, they were placed in the garden. They were under God's authority, under God's power. He gave them one rule, don't eat of that tree. When they chose to eat of that tree, they went outside of God's kingdom. They stopped obeying him. They were no longer under his protection. And as a result, they came under the power of Satan and his demons. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he removed that, which removed us from his kingdom, bringing us back into his kingdom and placing us once again under the protection of God. And so... By his death, he received the authority to command the demons, go. Don't bother this man anymore. He is now in my kingdom. His 
sins have been expelled, they've been dealt with, he is no longer separated from God, he is now under God's protection. So both ways, by his power as creator and by his right as redeemer, Jesus can heal us from demonic oppression. Second, let's uh, look at the impact of his healing power. There's a lot of concern about people who are healed from COVID-19. Are they truly healed? Are they all the way better? We hear reports of those who have been cured that still test positive afterwards. We hear of those who, though cured, continue to suffer from difficulties in breathing. Uh, so sometimes we might desire more when we look at those who have been healed uh, by physicians from COVID-19. How about this man? Um, we, if we look at the passage in the Gospel of Luke, it says in verse 34, when those who fed them, that is, those who fed the swine, saw what had happened, that is, that this, the man was, Jesus cast the demons out of the men, and then the swine ran down into the sea. That's what happened. They fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then they went out, they, meaning the people from the city, the people from the country, went out to see what had happened and came to Jesus and found the man whom, from whom the demons had departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. What was the impact, the effect, the condition of the patient after he was healed? And the condition is described here as sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. I think uh, we could use a little bit of sanctified imagination to think of what might have happened in the hours it would have taken the, uh, those who took care of the swine to go and report, and then people to come and observe it. Some time has passed. Let's guess it might have been hours. Uh, first, a demon-possessed man would realize that they were healed. They no longer had demons driving them uh, to live in the tombs, uh, to uh, cut themselves with stones, to cry out. They were healed. They were completely free from that power. What a feeling that would have been. One can imagine that they would have recognized Jesus as the one who healed them and have maybe would have come before him and worshipped him uh, as the man who was healed from leprosy did. And then one can imagine Jesus speaking kindly to them. It would be the first time in a long time they heard the kind words of another human being. And uh, Jesus uh, perhaps healing their cuts because we know in other cases when Jesus would cast out demons, he would also heal physically the people who were demonically oppressed. Certainly these men would need physical healing after being exposed to the elements and after cutting themselves with stones. And we can imagine Jesus asking the disciples to close these two somehow. They had extra clothes with them. We know Jesus could have created clothes out of nothing if he wanted to, but uh, perhaps they had extra suits of clothes and they clothed these men. What would it feel like to all of a sudden have clothes on you again after weeks or months or even years without clothes. I imagine Jesus asking or instructing the disciples to feed these two men. What would it be like to have a full stomach after perhaps so many days, weeks, months of hunger? And so maybe it's not surprising that they were seated at Jesus' feet and uh, very content listening to his words when the masses came to see what had happened. I want to think a little bit of uh, these effects also from our perspective. The man was seated at Jesus' feet, indicating that he was now under 
God's protection, God's authority. And the same can be said of us. In Colossians chapter 1, it says that he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. We all, as I said earlier, were outside of God's kingdom, really under the power of Satan and his demons. And yet, Jesus transfers us from that power into the kingdom of the Son of his love. Jesus' kingdom, the Son of God's love. But I want to think of the difference in authority when we were under the authority of Satan or demons. They didn't care about what we wanted, as in the case of this man. They took full possession of him. They thought not of his good. If anything, they seemed to enjoy tormenting this man. And yet, not so God. God doesn't force himself upon us. He doesn't force us to obey him. He wants us to uh, keep his commands out of love. Right? He loves us, and he respects our choice to love him. And so we're transferred into the kingdom of his love, understanding God's love for us, loving him back, and really his one command to us is to love one another. Very different kingdom than Satan's kingdom. The man was clothed, Clothing in the scriptures is sometimes used as a picture of a spiritual condition. Adam and Eve recognized they were naked after they sinned against God. And they tried to clothe themselves with fig leaves. And then God made them uh, tunics of skin, skins, animal skins. And it was a picture of really the need that they had. They were naked before God, naked in the sin, exposed to the wrath and judgment of God. And the clothing, if you would, is designed to protect them in some way or hide them in some way. Uh, so we too receive God's clothing um, in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10. He says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in, the God, in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with jewel. God provides clothing for us. He provides the righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of Christ is what covers us, protects us from the judgment of God. He looks at us and he sees nothing wrong with us because we're covered with the right. In fact, we're told that we are the righteousness of Christ because his righteousness infuses us. Uh, third, the man was in his right mind, and uh, we would say, yeah, he wasn't in his right mind cutting himself. We would consider that to be out of your mind or insane, to be harming your body. It's natural for us to care about our well-being. And so when a person clearly doesn't care about his well-being, living in the tombs, naked, cutting himself with stones, we would say, rightly, <laughs> the man is out of his mind. Right? And now he is in his right mind. He's behaving in a way that we would consider reasonable. But we, too, uh, could be out of our minds in view of the larger reality. Let's say you were an angel in heaven looking at the earth. And you'd be, these people are out of their minds. They are separated from God. They're headed to hell, and they think everything is fine. They spend their time playing on their iPads and other electronic devices or even taking cruises around the world, uh, choosing to live a life that's completely devoid of God, not knowing that they're headed into an eternity of loss and shame. They are insane. They're out of their minds. Whereas as believers, when Jesus saves us, 
we could be in our right mind. We can view this world from an eternal perspective and say, well, yeah, maybe I'm afflicted in this way or that, but I'm not living for the here and now. I'm living for an eternity. I have an eternity ahead of me of being with God and with God's people. And I will live my life with that in view. Right? And that is being in our right mind. Okay, uh, let's finish this passage in looking at the response of this region of the Decapolis to Jesus. Remember, Jesus came there really to, to bring them the gospel, uh, to ultimately deliver them from demonic oppression and, and all the other things that we as people need to be delivered from. And yet we see them rejecting him. Verse 34, And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to depart from their region. Uh, pretty exceptional. I'm not sure that there's another case where Jesus comes into a region, uh, demonstrates his power, right? He healed this man. And yet people ask Jesus to leave. Usually it's the opposite. Everybody comes, brings the sick people to him, please heal my grandmother, please heal my friend. Uh, you know, some of them seem to just be hanging out because they like seeing miracles. And yet in this case, they're telling Jesus, please, please go. And I was thinking a little bit about the reason for it, and there's a couple I can think of. One, these people, remember, are mostly Gentiles, and Jesus is a Jew, and they know that. Right? I mean, they were very aware of each other, Gentiles and Jews living in the region. They, they were aware that they believed in different things. Right? Um, you know, I have Muslim neighbors, and they know I'm a Christian. I know they're Muslims. Um, and, you know, there may be some aggravation there, because we know we believe different things. You know, we... We try to show them love, and, and they're actually very kind to us, too. They haven't mistreated us at all, but uh, there's often been conflict between Jews and Gentiles uh, in that area. And so Gentiles seeing a Jewish religious teacher coming into the region, demonstrating great power in delivering this man from demonic oppression, in the process destroying <laughs> their livelihood, right, these pigs, and you can kind of understand why maybe they're scared and like, wait a second, you know, we're at least dealing with the unknown and very possibly someone who doesn't like us, right? Because Jews didn't necessarily like Gentiles. Uh, and they were afraid of Jesus and Jesus' power. Uh, it is possible that the distraction of the swine, which was done by the demons, not by Jesus, but somehow Jesus allowed it to happen, uh, was also kind of a mark of the Jewishness of Jesus. They would have expected a Jewish teacher to come in and say, you guys know better than this. You know that pigs are not kosher to eat. And I think, I'm pretty sure they would. Even though they were Gentiles, they were surrounded by a Jewish region. They would know Jews would consider Gentiles to be uh, unfit for eating, uh, unclean animals. So... There was evidence that Jesus had a Jewish mindset from the fact that these swine were destroyed. So we can understand them being fearful. And so uh, Jesus departs, we are told. Um, in Luke, it says, uh, and he got into the boat and returned. He, he respected the rejection of him. You could imagine him saying, well, you guys rejected me. I will now bring fire and brimstone as an example of what happened to those who won't receive my salvation. But he doesn't. He just turns away. It makes me think of John 3.17 where it says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus came to bring salvation to people. He didn't come to condemn anyone. 
And so even though they reject him, he just turns around and goes, again, very different from the demons, a demonic power, Satan, he would just have taken control. Jesus had the power, right? He could have had them all kneeling on the faces and begging him to stay and, and teach them. He had the power to do it, but God never does it. God respects the free will that he created in us. And it's so precious to him, he will not violate it. That is demonic. That is not divine to possess someone. Now, the man from whom the demons had departed begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And uh, so, not surprising, the man, uh, the men, wanted to stay with Jesus. Jesus loved them. They loved him. Jesus had the power. Jesus delivered them. And yet Jesus says, you know, this is where you need to be. These people are afraid of me. And they think that I mean ill toward them, which is not true. I need you here telling them what great things God has done for you. And it's very clear which God, the Jewish God, the God of Israel, and the man, it says, he went his way, proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. Jesus, the man saw no difference between Jesus and God, which was actually uh, theologically correct. <laughs> Jesus is God. And so he could soften these people. And he does so successfully. Uh, if you are interested um, in biblical geography, uh, go and go to Matthew 15 and look at Jesus healing um, and uh, people. It says in verse 29, Jesus departed from there, skirted the Sea of Galilee, and went up on a mountain and sat down there. Then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others, and they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. So the multitudes marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. That is the same region. So the man did his job successfully so that seven chapters later, uh, Jesus comes back into the region and they welcome him. They bring him their sick. They now trust Jesus, that Jesus wants their welfare. And right after that passage, Jesus will feed them. That's the feeding of the 4,000 was right there in Decapolis, a Gentile region. People finally are able to see that Jesus is good, that Jesus loves them, and they can trust in his power and come to him for healing. They rejected Jesus as a healer, but later on they will receive him as a healer. And that actually became a bastion of strength of Christianity uh, when the Jews fled Jerusalem, when Jerusalem was being destroyed by the Romans, 40 years later, they fled to this region, to Decapolis. In applications to ourselves, uh, we need to recognize the reality of demonic, demonic power. Uh, demons are real. Satan is real. They desire to oppress us today. Um, if you are unsaved, you are under the power. You are outside of God's protection. As when I became a believer, uh, some of my friends found out that I was playing a game called Dungeon and Dragons, where you pretend to be in another world, and you pretend to be doing magic and other things. And they warned me, and they say, hey, you're exposing yourself to demonic possession. And it's possible. There might be things we can do that will expose ourselves to demonic possession, but we are not told why this man had, was so severely afflicted by demons. Uh, no more than we were told why the leper had leprosy. Uh, you don't know when demons will decide to take advantage of you in one way or another. It might be a very mild case or it might be a very severe case. But if you are not in Christ, then you are accessible if you are a believer, we're told that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. I don't think believers can be uh, possessed by demons the way this man was. 
but we are exposed to them nonetheless, right? We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We do wrestle against spiritual forces in the heavenly places, so they're real, and you have to recognize that. We have to recognize who alone has power over these demonic uh, creatures. Uh, we sang, those of us who were here today, uh, a mighty fortress is our God, and one of the verses says that uh, our cause would be helpless if not the right man was on our side. And who is that right man? It's God himself, the Lord Jesus. We need him. He alone can save us from such power. And then finally, as an application for ourselves as believers, Jesus told the man, go uh, to your own household and uh, tell them what great things God has done for you. Uh, we each have a story of what God did for us and how God has improved our lives. People might fear Jesus, um, even if they respect that he has power. And uh, we could soften. We could soften that fear by assuring people of God's goodness by our own experience of God. So we have the opportunity, like this man, to go to our house, our own house. Those people in our immediate circle and be some testimony of God's goodness so people would be more receptive to him as a hero. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for God's word to us and uh, its revelation of Jesus as the perfect healer, not just healer of physical ailment, but also of the spiritual uh, uh, oppression by demons and by Satan himself, desiring to keep us out of God's best for us. And we pray for each person who has not yet come into that goodness to uh, become sensible of their danger and to choose Jesus as their eternal healer from sin, death, yes, and demonic oppression uh, too. And for those of us who have tasted your goodness, Lord, we ask for opportunities, we ask for wisdom, we ask for boldness, for strength to uh, testify of your goodness also to others. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.